DMZ episode 2323. I'm Ken Rakowski in Los Angeles, California, actually near the airport and in the cool, hip part of town in Santa Monica, California, is Mr. Big Billy William Quigley. And we are here to talk about what's going on when it comes to digital, cryptocurrency, blockchain, all that is the new, the new, is it the blue pill or the red pill? Which one do we take? Pink. The pink pill. William, you have been gallivanting around this planet like crazy. Where have you been in the last month? In the last month, let's see, New York and uh, San Francisco and uh, London and Paris, okay. uh, Monaco, okay. Nice, Malta, uh, Vienna. Gibraltar? All over. You didn't, you didn't do Gibraltar, huh? I did not do Gibraltar. Okay. It's just one of those stops. It would sound like you would have to have to go there because uh, everyone knows nope. Monaco. It's Monaco. It's Gibraltar. Really? Where is, if any of those places, some of the biggest excitement of all those places, it's, is it still New York? Uh, I guess so. Yeah, that's probably where, I mean, if you're talking crypto though, it's global. Obviously I was at, it was crazy. The South of France in, uh, May and June, has been alive with with uh, crypto blockchain events. Uh, lots of people from around the world meeting up there. Part of that was because of uh, Formula One uh, right. in Monaco. And then uh, a bunch of events happened around it. Uh, but it's everywhere, as we've talked about many times on this show. There's not really a place in the world you can go to where people are not talking about crypto. I've noticed it's more blockchain now. That's the conversation. You know, I'm doing this gigantic conference in San Jose next week on Monday and Tuesday, and it's blockchain bliss, blockchain that, but it's not crypto. It's a blockchain conversation. Yeah, I, I know. And is it pronounced San Jose or San Jose? <laughs> <laughs> Again, how do you say the capital of Kentucky? Is it Louisville or Louisville? Which one is it? Uh, which, which one is it? No, it's Frankfurt. You're right. We're going to go back to this capital conversation. Hey, you can find us, of course, on iTunes, on uh, CoinDMZ.com. We are here every single week, kind of. And uh, it's hello at CoinDMZ.com is our email address. Last week, our last time, Brock Pierce filled in for you. Yes. And he, is, he doesn't have the same sense of humor as you. Is there a reason? Yeah, because he doesn't dress as extravagantly as me. He doesn't he does have dress my like hats, the little side bags, you know. He's a leprechaun. He's a leprechaun. Yeah. Hey, we have a bunch of stories to talk about. First thing I do want to bring up, it seems like anyone that is mining, you probably have looked at your electric bill. And if you've been mining for a while, that's probably next to your rent or your mortgage. Your electric bill is probably your biggest bill you have to pay yep. because mining ain't cheap now, is it? Well, no, and it gets more and more expensive to mine um, uh, the same amount of crypto as more and more people try to mine it because, you know, it's always divided up among everybody. Okay. So question then is, is there an efficient way to mine? Well, there is. I mean, at a high level, of course, we, we use something called ASICs, which are specialized uh, computer chips that are built uh, specifically to mine not just Bitcoin, but other cryptocurrencies. And then, of course, you want to have um, uh, a really a facility. You need to cool these machines down. They get hot and you need access to affordable electricity. 
that's the key. And right now I've seen places that are more northern are the ones that are more effective because of the colder climate. Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah. And early on, I want to say five years ago, six years ago, people were already anticipating that, you know, uh, alternative forms of electricity through, uh, you know, geothermal uh, might be a good way to go. Uh, there's th this has become almost a science and uh, something that I will say wasn't anticipated when um, the Bitcoin uh, white paper was originally written and, and people started mining was how the structure of mining would change. The, the, the idea was that people from around the world would download this uh, software and they would just have their computers mine it and it would be very what we call decentralized. Well, it turns out there are scale economics to mining, and as a result, uh, it's really just a couple of groups. We call them pools, but it's coalitions of miners who've come together who are able to get the majority of the coins. The reason that's noteworthy is because the Bitcoin miners uh, can change the Bitcoin software. They can, they're like the members of Congress who can change the rules. And what you like is that it's a democracy and there's millions of people around the world. So to, to change the rules, you really have better get a good reason. When it's just two or three groups, you could imagine that they may have ulterior motives. And so they would change them to benefit themselves. That hasn't happened yet, but it is the worry. So William, like if I drive faster, I get there sooner. If I enhance the speed of my processors, do I acquire more? You do, because the way okay. it works is um, the, the Bitcoin is divided among all the people who are connecting their computers to the software. Meaning if there was only one computer, like your desktop computer that was mining, you would get all of the Bitcoin. There'd be maybe these days, every 10 minutes, there's 12.5 Bitcoin that's uh, created. If there were you and me, we would get, assuming our computers are of the same power, we would get, uh, we'd split the 12 and a half, right? And then if there's 12 people, we'd each get a little over one Bitcoin. But the key thing to remember here is that the number of Bitcoin never increases. It's just like you got one pizza and the more people who come to the party, the thinner the slice. Uh, the only difference from that is if you bring a very powerful computer, it's actually not based on how many people are connected to the uh, system. It's based on how much power you have. So if you have a computer that's 10 times as more powerful as me, then you get 10 times as much Bitcoin. Okay, you know that we have a mutual friend who actually bought Cray computer. You know what I'm talking about, right? He was a uh, pretty woman is based upon him. Yes. He can turn on his 1996 Cray computer and, and mine really well, right? Well, yes, because he has helpers. But no, the point there, though, is, and this is a subtle point, but it's worth mentioning, uh, you could probably figure out a way to mine from your from your iPhone. Now, oh no no, did you see Apple has made sure they've locked that down? Yeah, I know, but you could if you could do it. You, you, you let's yeah, say you find it. a way. In other okay. words, 
it you uh whatever portion of computing power you dedicate to the bitcoin system you have that amount of bitcoin so if you have one percent of the computing power you get one percent of the bitcoin if you have one one millionth the computing power you get one one millionth the bitcoin that's basically it uh the the thing that people sometimes struggle with is just a concept there's a fixed amount that's awarded every day so that's all you get and that's it the more people who connect to it the less that there is the offsetting factor is the more people who connect to it the more power you dedicate to securing the network theoretically the more valuable the network so the more the bitcoin is worth therefore even though you're getting a smaller piece because everybody wants a piece of that pizza it's worth more okay so the reason why we started this conversation was about the cost to do some mining and i have a feeling this is not a rare case but it, again somebody getting caught and this is based out of china uh this guy his name is ma yeah ma he had more than 200 computers that were attempting to do both mining of bitcoin and ethereum and he was stealing his electricity yeah that's what he's doing yeah just stealing it and again, he was doing 150 megawatts since April. I have a feeling that there is a bunch of people sitting in other countries yep. that are just kind of hooking up to the grid and just siphoning out electricity. Yeah, it's probably true. Uh, and you hear about it all the time. You hear about in big companies, somebody has dedicated a portion of the computers to mine. You know, that's to be expected. Look, at people are at work and they're playing video games. They're on Facebook. I mean, you know, that's how it works. They are. So when we come back, we have a bunch of things to talk about. And our headlines start like this. Uh, cryptocurrency regulation. Let's find out what has happened because some big announcements occurred in the last uh, two weeks. $17 billion has been erased from the cryptocurrency market capitalization in the past, what, 24 hours. Indian banks are about to stop dealing with any companies that are dealing in crypto. Gift cards could finally be a cryptocurrency use case in the next year. The world's biggest VC firms are creating their own digital funds. And the rich are getting richer. And, and they still don't completely get crypto, but they're starting to. And a new game, again, taking advantage of William's knowledge. Which one is bigger? He's William Quigley. I'm Ken Rakowski, and you're listening to Coin DMZ. Episode 23, Coin DMZ. William Quigley, who's over in Santa Monica. He's sometimes on a plane somewhere. I'm over here in Los Angeles, not too far away. I could see William's head from here. We are here to tell you what's going on in that digital currency space, plus blockchain and all the other news that goes around that. Get a hold of us by going to hello at coindmz.com. And thanks a lot for being part of the show. Drop us some email. Hey, William, what is going on? Something because you uh, you run multiple companies. One of the company is uh, Opskins, OP Skins, some people call it. Um, there is an interesting situation that's going on in your world of digital current or digital assets. And it kind of reminds me back in the days when the fight was, is it the pipes or is it the content? Because everyone would say content is the king. But the the whole pipes and infrastructure really was the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Where are we at when it comes to digital assets today? Is that considered the new content? Uh, it is. It is actually. And, you know, I think the biggest bucket of these digital assets 
maybe market cap wise, value wise, it's crypto assets because those are digital tradable assets. But if you look at the number of people who are actually doing something with them, it's clearly video game virtual assets. There's probably 400 million people across the world who are buying these virtual assets in the video games they play, but then they're also trading them and they're speculating with them and they're using them as a form of currency. And they're even starting to take these, these video game objects and make new games out of them, uh, like metagames. Uh, and as you know, yes, I'm very involved in this area. I have a marketplace that allows video gamers across the world to trade these virtual game assets. And I guess what I'd say to you is the industry is beginning to change and it'll probably change at a more rapid pace. It is starting to recognize that video games have these virtual assets it's the video game industry starting to realize that the virtual assets in many ways are becoming like the primary focus of the game players. We have things called skins, which are virtual assets that are strictly of cosmetic value. They're what I call paint jobs or, or decals that you put on your in-game avatars. And those themselves have can be very valuable, thousands of dollars. Uh, the crypto world, which trades these virtual like coins, and then the uh, virtual item gaming world that trades digital assets that are more like decals and stickers and avatars, they're starting to come together. And it is, it's that collision between the two, which is a collision of cultures that I'm super excited about. The game publisher culture is those assets in our game, those tradable items in our game, they belong to us. We're gonna restrict how you use them. And outside of the game, they don't exist. The crypto people come at it and say, what? Virtual items are, the, are owned by the people and they can do anything they want with them. And these cultures are starting to clash and you now have video game developers who have a uh, an ethos of the crypto people. And so they're literally creating virtual items with a complete uh, liberation from the video game itself. And they're saying, do what you want with them. And I think the players are saying, oh, we like this open, permissive environment where the items belong to us, which is kind of the crypto mindset. And I think it's going to win out because, you know, uh, in the end, uh, uh, permissive versus restrictive, you know, consumers like permissive. So there is a slight challenge that's happening in that marketplace right now. One of the dominant players out there is a company called Valve, which I believe is up in Seattle. Uh, they own one of the biggest platforms. It's called Steam. And um, Steam has basically locked out a lot of... Uh, uh, players like one of your companies from dealing inside their platform, correct? Yes, yes, they uh, and they periodically do that. They restrict people's ability to use the platforms. Think of these platforms. You've got, everyone knows iOS or the Apple App Store. They know the Google Play Store, uh, Amazon has Kindle. Uh, there's another one called Steam, which is strictly for video gamers. And then you could look at things like Origin or Xbox. All of these are game platforms mostly or app platforms run by a corporation where they let people build 
applications on their platform. You could even say Facebook is that, right? You can build applications that people can use like games, Farmville, whatever on Facebook. But the problem has always been those game platforms or social media platforms arbitrarily make rules that kill off industries. Why would they do that? uh, I think they do that because they look at their very narrow self-interest and they say, oh, you're doing this on our platform. Well, maybe we should do that. And we maybe could do it in a way where we could get more value. What I think a lot of times it's almost like, you know, too many MBAs at a company, they don't realize that by doing that, you you discourage new people coming to your platform because those people say, well, you know, you didn't treat the other people who built you on your platform well. And if, for those who aren't familiar, Apple and Google, they are incredibly restrictive. They will ban your app, no matter how big it is, if you break some rule. In fact, they rarely tell you what rule you broke. What they say is, we have rules. You broke one. You're gone. And yeah, but there's not that many options when it comes to Apple. You have an iOS device. You, other than jailbreaking your phone, you can't get apps from anyone else other than Apple. And I would say that uh, that uh, structure of the way the world works is ripe for change. And it's crypto people who are saying no. Everyone should be able to build on a platform, get access to the platform and do stuff with the platform without a bunch of meddling. And mm, very interesting is, situations uh, going on. It, we'll talk about it later. Uh, we, my one of my companies and I, we are building a new type of gaming platform. And that platform has a lot of uh, ideas that we've acquired as crypto people. And so it's a very different experience and very different way of governance between the people Since, building on it and us. So let's pay attention to what happens there. It, this is in the works right now. Let's talk about some, um, some regulation that's happened. Uh, the United States came down with a very interesting ruling uh, during last week. And it basically said um, Ethereum... I think it was Ethereum, yes. is is not considered a security. Yeah. Can I make one comment about that? Uh, I No, of course you are. This is your okay. show. Whatever you want to do. Well, thank you. Here's what I'd say about that. Uh, the, uh, you know, when I was a young boy, the uh, federal agencies of the U.S. government were almost like the U.S. State Department, all of them, where they were very thoughtful and when someone from one of those agencies spoke that person spoke after having really given a lot of thought and having a consensus within the agency as to what the rules should be okay well that's gone away which is why with groups like the sec now there are people within the sec who say contradictory statements and there were many people saying oh the sec is going to rule all coins all cryptos are securities which to me was was nonsensical um even some of the senior leadership was saying that so it is a very important thing now that a much more measured voice has come out of the sec 
And that message has been, we don't consider Ethereum a security. And I'll tell you, if they don't consider Ethereum a security, then there's a whole category of cryptos that are now clearly not security. Which means what? Good, what does that mean exactly? What it, what it means is you don't have a group that's an antiquated group with antiquated rules called the SEC dictating how companies can build crypto platforms and build new cryptos that exhibit characteristics like Ethereum. Because up until now, what we worried was, well, they're gonna categorize as a security. If you do that, just know once it gets that label, there's basically the vast majority of Americans can't own it. And they can't own it because only the people who are quote, qualified investors get to own it. And what that means is rich people. Yeah, but does this also yeah. mean the financial planners that are out there won't be able to offer it as part of a portfolio plan? I, that, that I don't know. I don't know. I think financial planners, depending on who's regulating them, can give investment advice about things other than securities, I mean, real estate or commodities. Uh, but it basically means there's a lot of restrictions that now uh, developers, entrepreneurs don't have to think about. Because as soon as you label something with a label that is under some very strict rules, uh, it's a lot harder to use. I got it. Okay. Hey, uh, I know when we see these gigantic swings up and down, you know, this one story saying $17 billion was just basically erased from the crypto market. $17 billion is a massive number, without a doubt. But it's all relative, meaning this. Yeah. As we look at what happens with Bitcoin, which is the predominant player, which is about 40% of the overall market, when that swings and swings up and swings down, you're going to have billions of dollars that are lost. The problem yep. that people are saying right now is if we're hovering around this $6,000, $7,000 mark and we've been declining for the last four months, are we starting to see the sweet spot of where the market feels comfortable? What's your thought? Well, it's, uh, you know, the road of uh, uh, price prediction is fraught with peril. Uh, yeah. uh, all I can tell you is this, Ken, the uh, uh, Bitcoin, if we're referring to just that, Bitcoin still has tremendous use cases. Uh, it's still, there's still nothing else like it in the world, cross-border transactions. It's... It's not really a system for small payments, for consumer payments. It doesn't work for a bunch of reasons. But I think it's very secure and it's very open. I'm pretty confident with it. Uh, what will cause it to double or triple in price like it did in 2017? You know, it's the unknown. Some other use case comes about. Some other bigger government says, we think this is great. Or maybe... Uh, more tools to make it more usable get developed. Any of those would trigger, I think, a nice uptick in the price of Bitcoin because, you know, it's hard to use right now and uh, it's, uh, it's awkward. A lot of places don't want to accept it as a form of payment. But I would just say to everybody, the possibilities of how it's going to be used, new use cases, those are accelerating yes and at some point you know things don't go up like 
every time you have one good idea, something goes up a little, they tend to be a little rocky, right? It just like, it sits idle for a while. And then all of a sudden people go, oh yeah, that's actually a good thing. It's like Netflix, boom. That's what I see. Okay, that's fair so enough. I can't tell you if it's gonna drop in price more. I can't tell you at this price, I'm very happy with it. I don't think, uh, I don't think it's overvalued. And um, I think there's a lot of news and the majority of the news in the future, I think should be on the positive side because governments are getting more permissive, not less, yes. with, with just a few exceptions. All right. That's William Quigley. This is Coin DMZ episode 23. We, of course, are hanging out with you, giving you all the latest and greatest of what's going on with the crypto space. William, I know that you're going to be speaking at a ton of conferences. Are you speaking at more blockchain conferences or more crypto conferences? Well, um, let me tell you, uh, I would say neither. Really? What are they? ICO right. conferences? Uh, nope, nope, nope. Uh, I do speak at those conferences, and they're perfectly fun. And, and I might even say they're, uh, they're the enjoyable conferences because I'm in and around a group of people who all think the same way and all get excited about the same thing. But there's very little value in going to those conferences, converting people who are already converted. The conferences I'm going to now are industry-specific conferences where people in different industries are trying to figure out Got how it. do we use crypto. Got it. And how, how well attended are these? Is there a lot or is there a small Well, group? these conferences tend to be very big because, you know, uh, the way most industries around the world work is they, they have these trade shows, people show all their new cool stuff, and they listen to people talk about what's coming down the road. Uh, unlike crypto conferences, which you have joked at, at times about where there's more crypto conferences than there are, you know, people in New York City, <laughs> uh, there is no, I don't think there's any industry that has more crypto conferences. You could literally go to five a day somewhere around the world. Oh, easily. Yeah, I still like them. It's fun to meet friends, but I I don't think they're all that valuable because as I said, we're just trying we're talking to each other. It's an echo chamber. So, a country that has been struggling with its own currency is India. India has gone through some interesting stories on what they've done with their own paper currency, their own fiat. And I think that India is still, if anything, one of those countries we have to watch as a litmus test of what's happening. And uh, according to the Reserve Bank of India, it's uh, basically suggesting to stop dealing with all virtual currencies and terminate accounts of crypto-related companies. Now, this is the government of India suggesting they just don't want to have anything to do with that. Not a good move. Are they being more cautionary to watch what's going on with places like North or South Korea? and watch what happens there and maybe adopt those principles for their own country? Well, uh, I'm sure there's many, many reasons, some that are probably pretty good and some that aren't. I will just say this, uh, look for this decision to get reversed. It might not be an about face with one single ruling, might not even be in the next six months. It's going to let's just say get eroded this prohibition mm. for one simple reason uh when we think of india we think of software development and and they have really that has really become an export driver for india and what is blockchain and crypto it's software 
the Indian software industry is working on crypto development, blockchain development. They're, they're not going away. So uh, people are going to continue to work on it and they can uh, stifle it with, with limitations on how the Indian banks work with crypto companies. But, you know, borders are more porous than they've ever been. Uh, I do not see India being able to stamp out the innovation of Indian entrepreneurs around crypto. There's probably somebody or bodies in the, in the, in the Indian government who uh, uh, are worried about something. Because remember, this it, you have to learn as a government to, to lose control. You know to give up control and with currency india korea uh china there's a few other countries they're highly highly restrictive in how they allow people to use their currency and so this is probably a bit scary for them makes sense you know hey watch what happens with this because again this is unfolding between these governments and it's happening on a regular basis so we belong to this group called Metal, and inside Metal, I posted a video from 2009 of Brock Pierce uh, giving a talk about digital assets. It's oh, yeah. You got to see it. It's actually really great, William. I'll give you access. Well, you're a Metal member. Of course, you can see it. And then if you type in my name and Brock Pierce, Milken, we're giving a talk on virtual assets and Bitcoin in 2012 at the Milken Conference. Interesting. And on that panel was American Express. It was mm. the Starwood Group and another company called Points, I believe, because the way Milken saw it was Bitcoin or crypto was very similar to points uh, from different uh, loyalty groups and very, very yep. similar to gift cards. This is what they yep. saw back in 2012. Well, if we look at where things are moving, there is a similarity in some ways, not totally exact, but Starbucks theoretically has its own crypto or its own yeah. digital currency. It just doesn't go up and down in value. It's fixed kind of like Tron is, or not Tron, um, like um, Tether. Tether, like Tether is. But what do you think about gift cards being the next big, let's say, digital currency case next year? Yeah, I know a lot of people are talking about it. I don't think it's a giant use case, uh, but I get the point. Okay. Uh, many, many banks and the uh, credit card cooperatives like Visa have said they don't want people to, let's say, create uh, Bitcoin or crypto debit cards for whatever reason. They just don't want it. Uh, that's... Uh, you know, a lot of these big uh, banking networks, uh, they control the back end of the uh, of the gift card industry. So I think it's not so easy to say, oh, I've got a gift card with some crypto on it. You should use it. Uh, I think it's a use case, but I it's not just a big don't deal think yet. it's very interesting. Okay. Hey, we know, of course, who Mark Andreessen is. Andreessen Horowitz was at one point in time the big venture capitalist group in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And uh, you have, um, let's see, Draper Fisher, you have Benchmark Capital, you have all these big VC firms. And what I've noticed, maybe you've noticed too, William, they are doing more and more when it comes to creating their own crypto funds. I mean, this has been going on for the last couple of years, but I think their fear yeah. factor is the ICO market. Don't you agree? 
Yeah, the fear factor, meaning they look at the ICO concept and say, you know what, that takes away some of the value that oh, yeah. venture capitalists used to provide. That's where I think they've been worried. Yeah, so we're seeing more funds that are geared towards crypto markets. Uh, but the problem is a venture capitalist can't participate in an ICO the same way they do when they traditionally invest in a around a b or c in a normal company it's not the same type of uh, constructs yeah i mean we can dedicate a whole show it's not to what we're watching this yeah to venture to venture capital and crypto last thing before we do our last it's, story uh, hey, real it quick. is a threat yeah it is a threat but more and more are beginning to see that they need to participate in icos and crypto because some of the smartest software developers are moving in that direction all right Hey, so of course, this is episode 23. He's William. I'm Ken. Hello at CoinDMZ.com. When we come back, we'll talk about how the rich are getting richer, but they don't understand crypto. And then which one is bigger? That's our new game, of course, taking advantage of William's great, vast intelligence. CoinDMZ, we'll be right back. William Quigley, Ken Rakowski, Santa Monica, Los Angeles. We're just in Santa Monica. Let's just say it. Left coast. We're over here. Um, of course, you can find us by going to hello. That's typing in an email address at coindmz.com. Ask us a question. So, William, I know that you are a H-N-W-I. That's what you are. How do I pronounce it? It's... High net worth individuals. Yes. That's what William is. He's worth over a trillion dollars. Um, <laughs> so high net worth individuals um, generally are the ones that determine where different investments are going when you look at them. And a new study that recently just come out looking at the high net worth individuals who, by the way, have at least $1 million to invest outside their main property investments. That's important suggests that 29% of these millionaires have a high degree of interest in buying or holding cryptocurrency, and 27% are still on the fence, which means 20 or 56%, 56, more than half, yep. are staying away from it. That's a big number, don't you think? So here's what I think. It's an amazing statistic that uh, a third of all these high net worth individuals are now considering crypto to be asset class they may want to invest in. There's another another 25% that are thinking, yeah, you could convince me of that. I mean, that's huge. Uh, a, a couple of years ago, there was probably less than two or 3%. So very quickly, uh, high net worth individuals are seeing this as a legitimate place for for investment. That's really good for anybody building something in the crypto or blockchain ecosystem. Right. But it does still show that half of them still don't believe in that market space. You know what? The fact that half of them either believe in it or could be convinced. I mean, it's hard to convince half of the world of anything. Okay. So, William, every show I try to at least uh, tantalize your brain by throwing something new at you. We have a new game, as you can tell by the music in the background. And this game is all around which has a bigger market cap. Are you ready? Yeah. First one, 
versus the other one. Tron versus, is it pronounced Iota? Yeah. Who has a bigger market cap? Quickly. Don't look online. I'll say uh, Tron. Tron is right. Good start right there. 2.8 billion compared to 2.7 billion. Our next one is Steam versus Verge. Verge. Ooh, right away. Look at out the gate. Verge is uh, three. You're looking at it, aren't you? No. 375 million versus 364 million. Our next one is Komodo versus Waves. Waves. Really? 300 million versus 166 million. I don't like this game because you're getting them all right. Our last one is Titcoin versus the Putin coin. Ah, um, uh, Titcoin. Titcoin, $150,000. Putin coin. 979,000. You are wrong on the last one, but ah. you have done good on this game. This is a game for you. Apparently, you study the market caps on a regular basis. So, William, yeah. will we be back to our regular schedule? Because I miss doing this. Yeah, there is so much to talk about with crypto. We are in a period of like real change in the next six months. You remember, we didn't even mention the, the main net of EOS, which is one of the top five new blockchain platforms launched yeah. in, in the last week. Dude, it's huge. Dude, that's what Brock was on the show for. He launched it on the show on episode 22. Oh, oh, it's been more. Yeah, maybe it's been a couple of weeks. Just to let you know. Yeah, it was the second. Second of July. And, and we're learning Actually. a lot. Yeah, but Brock actually comes over to my studio and sits down with me to do the show. I have to do, because you're so busy, I have to use this horrible internet connection and my haze and my US robotics modem is overheating right now. Remember what I told you, you've got to bring better quality peanuts and then I would be glad to studio. The trail mix is on its way, so I will have you back here next week. William, I appreciate you doing the show again. Hello at CoinDMZ.com. William Quigley, Ken Rakowski, we are out of here. Thanks a lot for listening to Coin DMZ. Sorry.